Welcome to Is Now a Good Time. This is Bill Ehrlich, and I'm here with Mike Benz. Mike is many things, a DJ, an aspiring writer, a lover of the great books, and most importantly, has a great vinyl collection. After graduating from college at the University of Notre Dame in a program of liberal studies, he moved to Chicago and began working a nine to five. After a couple of years, he decided to quit his job to write the next great American novel, after a couple more years, he went back to the 9 to 5, and most recently has moved out to the West Coast. So, Mike, how did you get out here? Uh, by plane <laughs> and out of desperation. <laughs> uh, I think I'd always had this inkling that I wanted to be on the West Coast. I actually was in Chicago, found myself working on various artistic projects, but um, being a little lacking in direction. So I, I managed to find a job uh, with the company I'd worked for previously. And when you mentioned that you had been thinking about California as a place that would be a good fit, what are your earliest uh, thoughts of that? Oh, well, that, uh, that really started, I think, back in, when I was 10. We, my parents took my sister and I on this um, uh, this great spring break trip one year. We'd always gone up to Maine uh, most vacations, but they took us out to San Francisco and Yosemite. They'd gone on their honeymoon in San Francisco and wanted to, you know, go back. And of course, the kids were there to break the spell <laughs> of the nostalgia. But uh, we had a really good time. I was ten. I was just sort of waking up, and San Francisco kind of cast that spell for me just felt really vibrant. I think it was also like the fact that Yosemite was part of that trip. So there was this feeling of a connection between urban, like an urban environment and a natural environment, like knowing that they were both accessible out here. So that definitely captured my imagination, but I, I hadn't, I hadn't been back uh, until la about a year ago. So the seed was planted early when you were 10 years old on a spring break. And uh, where did you grow up for most of your, your childhood? Uh, outside of Baltimore and um, in a kind of morass of suburbs. <laughs> yeah. And then you went to school in the Midwest. Right. And how you did program of liberal studies. So tell me more about that experience. Yeah. Thing. And in fact, it used to be called the general program, but it's actually uh, what is known as a great books program. Um, uh, and it's just concentrated on this notion of the Western canon of classics. Um, but it's not just Greek and Roman literature. It's also uh, going up through the Middle Ages, Renaissance, all the way into the 20th century. And mostly just literature and philosophy, but also some science writing, political theory, history, also some theology thrown in there. The idea being to watch all of these ideas intersect in different media. It's pretty exciting. It's an exciting ride. So you had to do a lot of reading. Also, you had to do a lot of writing. And I'm, I'm curious, uh, you're, you're an aspiring writer. When did writing start up in your life? At what age did did this start to become an idea? Um, it had always kind of just spontaneously come out of me at di 
different points, but never in. Are we talking about writing? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, uh, this is this is this is when I was even. Well, actually, one of the first things I remember writing, and this was on one of those computers from the early '90s, black screen, yellow or orange text. Oh yeah. Like a micro. It was like MS DOS, you know. And I wrote some. I think I wrote a story about there being a lightning storm that brought dinosaurs back to life. Because I was obsessed with dinosaurs <laughs> when I was young. It, it might be one, on one of those large floppy disks. <laughs> totally. Oh, it was. That were actually floppy. I think my dad was trying to teach me, like, this is how a computer works and always will work. <laughs> like, we always need floppy disks. I know it was, it was definitely on the, um, the three and a half inch ones. You okay. Know? So. Honestly, though, I, I got very science-oriented um, in middle school. I was really interested in that stuff and only really came back to like um, enjoying literature and, and kind of relishing it in high school. I had a series of really good English teachers that woke up my sense of all that literature could offer, especially sophomore year of high school. I read over the summer, The Great Gatsby, Death of a Salesman, and Moby Dick. That so was the assignment. It's a heavy summer. Yeah. You know, it was perfect. I was reading, we were on vacation in Maine and I was reading Moby Dick. You know, we were like, the smell of the Atlantic was right there. And um, and I just loved it. When you were going from high school into college, you said you had some great English teachers. Did you know that you wanted to study English or the great books and, and kind of go that track? Well, so I took a creative writing class in high school. Really enjoyed that, but also got the sense of like, oh, this is going to be hard. I can't just write and have it spontaneously be good, you know? <laughs> that was that was a shock. Like, yeah. <laughs> now, back when you were going to school or thinking about going to school, some people's parents uh, tell them they have to be a doctor or an engineer or you know, major in finance or one of those things. Did you get any pushback, um, whether it be from family or others about saying hey i want to read the great books um i got no pushback at all i mean they're my parents are very encouraging of that but um maybe they wouldn't have been if they knew what i was gonna do (laughs) but uh (laughs) when you were in school did you ever think about what you were gonna do upon going out into the real world did you think that you'd immediately begin writing or what were your thoughts as far as afterwards yeah, I mean, um, while I was in college, I was so into being in college. You know, it felt like, honestly, it felt like, I'm like, this is where I want to be. Like, <clears throat> it was pretty much utopia for, in a, for a lot of different reasons. Socially, like having all your friends in close proximity, intellectually actually kind of like choosing what you really wanted to study and then digging into it. So, I, I mean, I feel really grateful for that, but... Um, <clears throat> You know, was like by the time senior year happened, it was obvious, like, okay, I got to think about what I'm doing after this. And I think my assumption had always been, it's like, well, I know I really do love this sort of intellectual um, adventure and challenge. So I, I had this assumption that I'd wind up in grad school. But I think the thing that, that held me back from really choosing grad school was that like grad school still develops along these very um, discipline-oriented lines. 
you're doing philosophy. You do you, you get a master's in philosophy or a PhD in philosophy or in English literature. There wasn't a great books master's or PhD. I, I think I if I did something like that, I'd wind up in the same place of like, well, now what do I do with this? You yeah. Know? <laughs> but so, but it's it's further out. Yeah, it's just kicking the kicking the the can down the road type of thing. Did, so did you did you uh, did you go apply or check out schools? Like how far into that exploration did you did you go? I think I knew that I didn't want to do it immediately after college. When I found myself at home without a job in the midst of a terrible recession in 2009, yeah, I did start checking out programs, but like I actually was more oriented at that point towards trying to get into MFAs, like um, okay, because I thought you know I was so attracted to the primary sort of function of the text, which was like the creative process of like actually trying to do that rather than analyzing other people's work that's an important that's an important distinction i mean that that is illuminating it probably felt good to kind of recognize that in yourself it was important for me to do that because i think everyone you know my, my i think my professors would have not been surprised if i'd gone that route um so in a sense there were these like implicit not pressures but like there were sort of implicit expectations and I, so I would have just fallen into that. 2009, terrible recession. You're graduating from school. Were you looking for jobs in anything? Were you just figuring, okay, after school, I'll go home and get my stuff figured out and go from there. Well, what was your, what, what were your thoughts upon graduation? I was really, I was, to one, I was totally in denial that I was ever going to graduate. <laughs> and like, like this is going to last forever. They're not going to really make us go and, home. And with enough, you know, if you had gone and gotten that PhD, that could have been, you know. I could still be in school right now. You could still be in school right now, yeah. What did I do? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, so, see, the thing is, I, I, I'd heard enough about um, how grad school can be really vicious and, like, political and, suck all the fun out of everything that you used to love. So I was like, I think I want to avoid that. But I've heard from some people that they love grad school and it really was this great like intellectual experience. After school, you, I mean, you really figured out some stuff as far as wanting to create the primary work and then you go back uh, to where you're from, kind of regroup. What, what was that time like? Yeah, it was hard. Like I was saying, the, the uh, I kind of remained in denial. I was very depressed about having left school, which I did think of as a utopia. I know a lot of my friends experienced this or, or related similar stories where like, as soon as they graduate, suddenly the parents are like, okay, so you're going to get a job, right? And you're going to move out and like support yourself, right? Like you did all the stuff that you like followed your dreams in college, but you're going to get a job, right? I didn't see where my place was in that structure. But I did get the sense, well, you know, um, I kind of had to orient myself towards selling, like, my ability to write and, and think critically, analyze, like, those are sort of like a jack-of-all-trade type of skills. Um, and it, it was sort of hard because uh, I kept hearing that those were skills that transferred to any industry, but you had to find the right role. You know, the, and it's like hard to know 
even what like positions to look for. Um, but I soon determined that I needed to like get out of Baltimore because I didn't want to stay in Baltimore. It's like that that like made it easy. It's like I don't want to be there. I grew up there. There's a residue of uh, adolescent angst and all that stuff. So I moved to Chicago. And that was, that was a pretty easy decision because that's where like the largest number of my good friends from college had gone to. Um, they did feel like there was already a community. Um, so I moved out there. I had, uh, I had managed to like get a, an internship with a film company, which was something I was uh, pretty interested in at the time, maybe working on editing, cinematography, any number of uh, things. And it was like, good to just like be a production assistant in order to get a feel for what a day-to-day thing might be like and i did learn from that that i didn't want to do that that's a valuable thing to learn though just that you didn't want to do that yeah <laughs> you're narrowing it down totally yeah i mean it, it, it was that was valuable like and because that's the thing like i could have totally like tried to invest more in film and would have made that discovery much later on like uh-oh you know, like for instance, if I'd gone to grad school for it, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, where like I'd have like probably encounter a lot more theory at first and get really into it and then like actually try to produce a film and be like, oh, this is kind of miserable. And, like, this is not what I want to do. Some people really love that. But like, yeah, again, it's just constantly narrowing down on like what it is you're meant to do. Based on what you're saying and also, I think, other experiences, the best way to find out if you like to do something is by doing it. (laughs) Because there's really talking about it, thinking about it, imagining what it might be like to do. None of those actually replace the day in, day out of, of doing it. Yeah. We don't, we don't sit around imagining all those small menial tasks that are required to get the big thing done. We just think about the big thing. That's like, it's hard to avoid that. So after the movie gig working in production, you decided you didn't want to do that. What was, what came next? And you were, you're in Chicago now. I was in Chicago living on a friend's couch. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Like a, a perennial perennial favorite of the, the recently graduated um a i worked at old navy for a bit folding clothes i i learned quickly that i didn't want to do that for the rest of my life listening to justin bieber on the speakers did they day. did they give you that square where you fold the shirts around that square is there a like, tool or is it, it just like free we, folding it was like we weren't good enough for the square Actually, I think they might have had those available, but it was sort of like, I don't know why that wasn't a thing, but it wasn't a thing. Yeah, that was that was just tough. I mean, that was sort of, in a way, that was one of those uh, in the valley, in the, uh, in the abyss is a little like do, overdramatic. Do you think it would have been better if you had the square? <laughs> it totally could have been. It would have made my life a lot better. Because like, here's the thing. like Talk about a Sisyphean task. Folding clothes in a store where literally they are meant to be unfolded as people try them on. Like, that is so depressing to be like, I like I worked really hard to get all these clothes looking nice in a display. And then like five minutes before closure, like some mom like a soccer mom comes in with three kids and is like literally just is like a hurricane going through the store 
<laughs> destroying everything. And you're like, oh, God. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> but it will come again tomorrow. You know, the boulder rolls back down the hill. That's Man. Yeah. Was, was there anything going on in your life that was inspiring at this time? Um, my friends in the city. It was it was great to sort of feel like I was I was kind of rebuilding a community in that sense. I definitely kept the faith that eventually, you know, I'm gonna keep looking. And by the by the time I did get the job, I wanted to be a yuppie. I like you know. I wanted enough money to not feel like really think about every purchase. It's funny, but it's honestly really important. It's like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs sort of realization that if money is actively an issue, then that occupies a big part of your brain space. And you it's hard to disengage from that question of like, am I going to have enough money to buy all the groceries and like do all the things I need? on a day-to-day basis plus like live in a city where like you're trying to have a life and go out and be with your friends i got i got a job in a very classic way my cousin knew um that her company was looking for a research assistant um in a new department in chicago um and i really kind of fit the bill as a someone needing a or having Sort of that jack of all trades capability. Um, there's yeah. there's also the aspect too of for a lot of jobs it seems like as long as you're motivated or want to do the job you can learn how to do the job, kind of no matter what it is if it's if it's entry level or doesn't require that specialized skill. That was so true in, in my experience. With with the writing, writing seems notorious for being the easiest thing to put off or the thing that people most want to put off mm-hmm. not right now i'm not in the mood and i had that hard man that i mean i think i think the difficulty with writing is that it feels extremely intimate you feel like you're putting your very innermost soul out there, even when the, the intent isn't really like, even when you're just trying to, maybe you're trying to write some like funny little sketch, you know, but even that, like you're kind of revealing the way you think it, it, it feels like you always feel like you're going to be judged and you don't want people to see that if you don't feel like you've really captured you or the way, the right way you think. That leads to a lot of, if you like let that take hold, that leads to perfectionism, and perfectionism leads to procrastination. So you're always waiting for the right inspiration, the right conditions, all of that, and then you just don't write, you know. So it's a bad combination. So after you uh, were working at this job for a while, and, and, and presumably not writing as much as you'd like, t- tell me about what, what happened next. Yeah, I uh, I basically got to a point of being, I'd say maybe a year and a half in, you know, I sort of, I was starting to feel like, well, my social group, while I really enjoyed it, like being with everyone, they, they weren't pushing me creatively at all. Um, and that included 
the like relationship I was in at the time, the, the romantic relationship. So, um, which again, like, unfortunately I think, I mean, to the detriment of the relationship, both for me and for her, it was like, I heaped too much of the blame for my unproductivity in art on the relationship even when I like knew that wasn't fair or I didn't want to do that you know it's like oh but I'm spending so much time on this when I could be writing you know that's not a good place to be so I said well one of those two needs to go uh, job or GF um, and I said the job I was ready I'd saved up some money I thought you know I, I've heard of people doing this. I've heard of people just quitting their job and like roughing it, living on their savings. And like, I wanted to put that kind of like pressure on myself. Like you don't have any other choice but to write. Like how do you justify your existence if you're, if you're saying I'm just a writer now and I'm not writing, that would be pretty absurd, right? So I thought this was a good solution. This relates to the current situation I'm in. Uh, but um, what happened was you know, sometimes when you make a major shift in one area of your life, it opens you up to new possibilities. So the day that I, I, I submitted a resignation letter to my boss saying, I really enjoyed working for this department. He actually, I knew that he would be supportive because he himself was like at a stage in his life where he wanted to do something that felt more meaningful to him. And that was coming to work for this nonprofit. So I'd done that on Monday night definitely been having rocky times with my girlfriend and she knew that, that I was making this change and she was generally supportive of that but you know we <laughs> we went and got tacos and just got talking and things kind of came to a head about the relationship and we broke up so like in one in a one 24-hour period I went from having no time to write to having nothing but time to write <laughs> it was crazy this was a shock to the system it was the best of times it was the worst of times <laughs> so what so the next morning you wake up and you have all day yeah i had broken up with my girlfriend and then the next day i had to go in and have the meeting with my boss where he said so i read your letter so but not I mean, only not only did I have the meeting with him, but then right after that was the department meeting where everyone's there and and so like my boss goes in and says, Well, you know, first Mike has something to tell everyone. <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> have to do it all over again for for, you know, I mean it was like seven people probably I think at that time. But yeah. And everyone was everyone was very cool and supportive. I mean, it's not like you can't be like, Hey, you're making a huge mistake, buddy. Like you an idiot or something? Uh, yeah, what? I mean, <laughs> no everyone, one. No one usually says that. Yeah, I mean, everyone. Everyone's supportive of the follow your dreams narrative. Generally speaking, at least they can give lip service to it. I guess the other thing is too. Everyone thinks about it enough that when they see someone, whether it be because of naivety or uh, having the gumption or the courage to do it, it hooks something in them. I think too. And they I, say, oh, I kind of wish that was me. I heard that Tell from the department. several people. Yeah, especially one guy who was uh, somewhat older and very much, I mean, you know, we had a sort of like more like collegial and it, yeah, it really developed into like a friendship more or less. I should call him. 
I want to know what he's up to. You should call him. Yeah. Um, uh, after it's been like a year probably since we talked, but yeah, I mean, he was saying like, yeah, man, like I kind of wondering if I should do that, but he was like, you know, in his forties and it, it's a little more like that, that's much more drastic. So I, you know, I felt good about the fact that I was 25 at the time, pretty much no responsibilities. I'm just, as long as I can feed myself and shelter myself, uh, I'm not, uh, putting anyone else out in the street. So it felt like the right time. I also, again, there's like that, you kind of have to have like some blind confidence in yourself to say, I'm going to, everyone, tr- a lot of people try this and fail, but I'm going to try it and succeed. I do remember uh, the day where it, it was really the first day of not even going in, you know, like after my two weeks. And uh, I biked to a, a jetty out on Lake Michigan at Montrose Beach. And it was like watching people, there were people fishing in the middle of the day on a Tuesday. There were some people at the beach. I'm like, what are these people doing? Don't they have jobs? <laughs> like, <laughs> you start looking at everybody else during the middle of a weekday and you say, what the, the hell is going on here? Yeah. Well, are you guys writers? <laughs> are, we all, are we all just writers? Like, it suddenly dawned on me how like strange it was because we, we all have these like societal habits that of what we think is normal, normal behavior. And it was, it was a hard transition. And I have to say that, uh, uh, I tried a lot of different things to establish good routines for myself, but it was always a struggle. Yeah. It was always a struggle. So kind of grass is always greener. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was working at the bookstore for a while, decided that wasn't a good thing. It, even though I couldn't have imagined it would be a bad thing beforehand, you know, I thought it'd be perfect. Um, there were all these things it's just such a litany of excuses when I actually list them out. And it's really sounds really pathetic, but fact of the matter was I had a hard time knowing what worked for me and tried a lot of different approaches. And I never kind of consistently produced. I would have some good months where I was like, yeah, I wrote almost every day this month. I think at the end of, it was about three years. Wow. And um, I wrote 350 pages of a novel. And it's like nowhere close to being finished. <laughs> so, But it's like a novel length. So, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't do anything, but it's also very, I mean... It's a very little on the in terms of like day to day productivity. The thi- the thing that you said, which I think really, I think a lot of people can relate to. Maybe not just in this type of decision, but I think it sums a lot of it up. Is just I thought it would be perfect. That yes, like I thought I thought this is exactly what I need to do to like realize my potential. Um, I need all this time and headspace and. To just, if I can just be me without having to answer to anyone else, then I'll be extremely productive and creative and make this amazing thing. I made some progress, but nowhere near what I thought I would. And in the meantime, I will say it was, it was hard to not have like, um, even just 
a regular social interaction on a day-to-day basis. Like I would spend a lot of days just in my apartment because it's like, well, if I go out and it dawned on me, I was like, I'm not, there are uh, like whole swaths of the week where I'm not seeing anyone but my roommates. And some days I wouldn't even go out or some days I'd go take a walk, but it was just like, just to take a walk, you know? So that was very, I realized was pretty strange, like a pretty strange existence. Um, even even the interactions with coworkers that you may like may not be like people you choose to be friends. It's still something, you know. It still like lets you kind of remind you of this aspect of your humanity. You know, <laughs> it's a good thing. I also I didn't do a great job of seeking out mentors or like-minded people. I think I let a few early attempts at that that didn't succeed kind of like destroy my enthusiasm for that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, you know, I can just do this myself. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, and one more thing I'll say is I think, uh, honestly, there was, there, there is, some value in like trying to just like uh cold start do it but what i realized is i i did have to try a lot of things and i was very intensely reading about like artists routines and stuff like that and i was also like trying um like different diets like all types of things about so it was sort of like i was almost i got really focused on lifestyle and like how am I like doing all of these things that facilitate creativity? But like when everything's new, that's sort of antithetical to the routine. You're like experimenting with routines, but uh, if you never settle on a routine, then you kind of, uh, it actually kind of can be counterproductive, even though, you know, one of the important things from a, I guess a creative standpoint it's you got to judge productivity on different on like the appropriate time scale and so while i wasn't as productive in terms of like page count as i would have liked to have been in chicago i think that time was very productive in experimenting with like how i work and am creative i like learned a lot of things not to do i learned some things that do work for me and like now i know that stuff you know I don't have to like reinvent the wheel. Um, so yeah. The, the other thing is too, that you no longer need to hold out 40 years in advance, this idea of retirement, you tried it at 25 and you said, <laughs> I'd like to be going somewhere every day and seeing people and, and, and doing some type of work. Yeah, see, I yeah. should have moved to Portland. That's where young people go to retire. <laughs> So, so uh, how did you come out of this, this, this writing? It's not wanderlust. It's just, what would you call, what would you call this time period where you walk about, walk about, there's a writing walk about, a writing walk about. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, I mean, it was sort of like that for me, except it was wandering around my apartment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was less on a world scale, more on an apartment scale. Yeah. It was, like I'm walking around in my boxers. I should mention too, like, I mean, I did work um, intermittently for 
this the company that that research company my boss offered to like you know instead of quitting outright stay intermittent and maybe maybe although you say you didn't have a mentor maybe in writing maybe this person was looking out for you if they're a little bit older they might have known he was totally looking out for me he knew that it might like come in useful for me and honestly have you told him thank you um yeah i think you have to i think you have to to write no you gotta let him know yeah but well so yeah i mean you know i got the three years i was supplementing my depletion of savings with this intermittent work for the company and that was just one of many of those excuses that i mentioned earlier of like that was something that also would like come in and take some of my time um there was no reason that that should have like deterred me but it, it still had some effect. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it got to the point where, um, my savings were getting depleted enough. I'm like, well, I'm going to have, I'm going to be at $0 in maybe six months. I should start looking for full-time job again. Like, so I don't go there, <laughs> you know, that was, I mean, that was purely like an economic thing. Cause I didn't really, well, here's the thing. I also, I did have a sense that like, maybe I did need to have a structure, uh, a, a structure provided by a job where then I was able to value the time off the job in a very deliberate way. It, it's counterintuitive, but when you have the entire day to get something done, it's easy to put it off because it's like, oh, I don't need to do that now. I don't need to do that now. I have like the rest of the day. But then like you let things pile up and there's sort of like also this aching fear that like, oh God, what if I'm not going to do it? You know? <laughs> so like this, those sort of things, like, I mean, it's a psychological uh, uh, quicksand, you know? Like you're struggling to get out of it and it just sucks you in more. But, you know, and also, I mean, there's that, added aspect of like trying to justify your existence to yourself like and if it depends on that you know um contrast that with getting it with having a nine to five having the day job where you can you can kind of justify at least your material existence by saying like yeah look i made money i can buy groceries later like i can pay for the place i'm staying and now that i'm home I'm going to be disciplined and write like, and do the art things that are important to me or maybe not tonight, like, because I want to go work out, but like even, but that choice right there is less freighted with like the fear of failure. Cause it's like, okay. Um, it's not like my entire self-conception now depends on whether I wrote today or not, you know? So, all of that added up to my like wanting to go back to get a you know a day job and I was lucky enough to um, look back at this original company that I'd worked for and they had a job posting in San Francisco for just a, like exactly at my level research analyst so yeah I was very game to change things up even though it meant like kind of uprooting the things I'd built for five years in Chicago 
But yeah, I think I really was ready for that change. So it wasn't hard to just like immediately enthusiastically go after this job. Yeah. And the interviews went well. Uh, I actually got to try out a little bit because I was already on the payroll of the company. So they're like, hey, like help us edit this report and we'll see if we like what you do. And then I was sort of getting more and more warmed up to the idea, but also like not trying to like think it was a done deal. But then I got that call that they were gonna offer me the job. And it's like, yes. It sounds like at this point you all you weren't just saying the enthusiastic yes for them you actually felt it yourself yeah what would you say is the the big takeaway or the advice that you'd give your younger self not necessarily that you want to change anything but just what advice would you give someone younger oh man it's like well contemporary example it's that rod stewart song you know i wish i wish that <laughs> i knew all i know now I think one of the main things I could say is to always try to embrace the dynamic and oscillating nature of, what's the way to put it, like dreaming and responsibility. Like, uh, I think the advice to follow your dreams is incomplete, and I think the advice to, like, um, be responsible or be practical is incomplete. Um, because I don't think it, I don't think it really serves to, um, be reckless about following your dreams there. And, and I don't think most people, most people like intuitively get that. It's like, I gotta have like a plan and try to, uh, you know, um, go about this in a way that's smart. Um, my word of encouragement would be like expect there to be sort of like these cycles of like oscillation between you know times of uh, like exploration and times of like buckling down because I just think I think that's like not something that we intuitively expect right away we think we're gonna find the thing and we might like incrementally work towards it, but it actually is gonna require a lot of starts and stops. But if you can like think of it more as this like upward spiral towards like a single point, that is your ideal. Uh, I think that you've had that experience and it kind of comes back to the, to the quote by Rumi, he who tastes not knows not. And to have to have learned that firsthand of, you know, don't don't give up on what you really want to do, but don't necessarily be reckless about it and think that you can't also do some things that are practical that help you get there in a more systematic way. And to uh, to kind of wrap all this up with with the last question, if you had to title your autobiography, what what would the title be right now it would that's be... that's perfect right now <laughs> that's like uh, imperative statement yeah, yeah. <laughs> w-r-i-t-e-n-o-w maybe an exclamation point yeah maybe you just become a motivational speaker hitting the road getting all those other writers who are not uh, writing so you're, you're, <laughs> for writers who, who don't write. Can you just be my agent? I, I am. Mean, I am right now. 
right now with Mike Benz. Thank you for tuning in. Mike, thank you for being on the show. This is, is now a good time.